Well, good morning, everybody. A big welcome to you. It's good to be in God's presence. Welcome to you online. Thanks for joining us, whatever time and place you are. We're glad that you're with us today. So good to be in the Lord's presence when we worship him. He just comes and like the Bible promises us, he inhabits the praises of his people, no matter what you're feeling like today, no matter the doubts maybe even brought in with you today into this room, the challenges you might be facing, the good things, the bad things, the in-between things, um, God's got it all, amen? And uh, we just want to really welcome you. Uh, if you missed uh, the pre-service announcements, we want to let you know that at the back there are some activity packs and things for your children. We're so glad, kids, you're here with us today. Moms and dads, don't worry about any noise or anything like that. We are a family church, and so we're happy that you're here. And just by way of, like, uh, you know, so you know, uh, the first service, uh, we do have our kids programming has launched, yeah, as of last week. So just keep that in mind. Your children are more than welcome in this service, though, so that's not a problem. But if you want to avail yourself of that, um, City Kids is happening uh, in the 930 service. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help you out or make you more comfortable today, we want to do that. Um, this morning, our scripture is uh, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, if you want to find that on your phone or in your Bible there, Matthew 28, verse 16. We're going to continue on in our series on values today. And uh, we've been careful to, to mention that our, core, our values here at Faith City Church do not replace our core biblical beliefs. So you might remember a few weeks ago, uh, I talked about the car and how cars uh, all have some common uh, elements they have wheels, they have steering wheels, they have engines. I'm the wrong guy to describe a car to you, but it has all those parts that are common. And then it has options, right? So there are options in some car. You might have like leather seating, or you might have fabric, or you might have this color or that color. And there are options, but they're all still cars. And so we were talking about how our core biblical beliefs are likened to the things of a car that are common across vehicle models. Just like in the, the Church of Halifax, so the broader body of Christ here in the city of Halifax, there are things that we all hold in common. Jesus, his deity, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, giving, all kinds of things, prayer, um, the Bible, you know, different things. And so coming in the new year, just to give you a little bit of a preview, Glenn and I are working on a series that will deal with our core biblical beliefs. And uh, it'll be really important to hone in on those. And what are those core doctrines that we all believe that make us Christians? And here in the fall... Coming off of vision, mission, and our, our broader message on values, we're unpacking the specifics of Faith City Church. What makes us unique among other churches? Not better, just unique. What, what has God called us to? Um, and so we've been talking a lot about that, and I'm excited today to continue uh, in that series. We first uh, discussed all people, all ways, of how God loves all people, and we're to do the same. Last week, Len unpacked um, how we're Christians first and how that's our core identity, being Christ-centered. And today, we're going to be talking about discipleship. So Matthew 28 says this, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Will you pray with me again? God, we just thank you that you are with us. 
And Lord, no matter where we are in this room today, watching from somewhere else, uh, even as we sit a different time and place, Lord, you transcend all of that by your presence through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you that first you're here with us. And Lord, I pray um, above any other voice or message or anything at all, that your, your voice would be loudest among everything today. Um, Lord, that you would be faithful to speak to all of us. God, I want to leave this place changed today. And I know my friends here do as well. So we just give you our attention today. We open up our hearts to you and we pray that the ground of our heart would be soft. Lord, we do pause um, to pray for those uh, today who might have come in with some burdens today, Lord, um, who have a sense that perhaps they're on their own. Lord, I just pray uh, through the words that are spoken today, through your scripture and through um, music and worship, Lord, that you would just uplift us all, including those um, who feel alone. They would sense you and your spirit. Lord, we sang about how you've carried us and that we wouldn't forget all that you have done. Lord, I pray that that would be true today, even as we look through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's uh, the fall, autumn, autumn. The leaves change, right? Trees look really nice out there. How many of you have gotten to go on a drive a little bit out of the city to check out the, what is it, the foliage? <laughs> Foliage. You know, you know what? Actually, it's called leaf peeping. Did you know that? Leaf peeping is a thing. It's a thing. I know, right, Glenn? It's a little bit of a weird kind of term, right? But you might not want to Google that one. But yeah, the foliage, the foliage, the leaves change color. And actually, in the city of Halifax, you kind of, I mean, you see it a little bit. But on the streets here, you don't really get the full, like, impact of it. But the nice thing about living here is that, I think, anyway, you can get out of the city pretty quickly, right? So, you know, you got the advantage of being in the city, get what you need to do, go to Costco. And that's what means we're in a city. We get to go to Costco. Uh, but then you head out 15 minutes or so, and you get to see, like, the beautiful uh, forests and all the leaves changing. And when you live in a, a city like Toronto, we lived there for a little while, um, you can see that kind of stuff, but it takes a little bit longer, you know? And so it's nice here. You can head out to the airport, and boom, all of a sudden, you're hit with some of those forests, or you head towards Truro. I was driving out that way last week. It's not that far. And I don't know where it is, but you know how you kind of come down that valley there, and all of a sudden, you get hit with this beautiful picture, farmland and trees. But you don't just go out and see one tree. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't go out and be like, oh, man, that one tree, it's like all these yellow leaves, and oh, it's such a beautiful thing. You look at these big, what is it, vistas, right? These big pictures of trees changing, and you see the colors in the valley, and all that sort of thing, and you're, you're taken back by this big forest, of change and beauty, and it's cool to see how God has created everything. And that got me thinking this week as I was preparing, uh, you know, this message uh, about that old saying, um, that idiom that says, um, you know, don't miss the forest for the trees. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, let's not miss the forest for the trees, or you missed the forest for the trees. You got distracted. The idea is there. There's a big idea, and sometimes we get distracted by the smaller pieces of that puzzle. And that's a little bit like discipleship. You see, when we talk about Jesus Christ, when we talk about Jesus Christ, to, to, to give Jesus Christ as a person and a topic, like a fulsome discussion, a full discussion, or really understanding who he was completely, we can't do that without speaking about discipleship. In order to talk about Jesus fully, we need to talk about discipleship. Well, how can you say that, Paul? Well, if you look through the Gospels, some of you have been following Christ for a long time. Some of you may be newer to your faith. Um, if you read the Gospel of John, for example... And you sit there and you take a couple hours and actually just read right through. It might not even take you that long, depending on how quickly you read. One of the things that becomes apparent is the backdrop uh, against which 
all the amazing miracles and things uh, that Jesus did, uh, the backdrop against which that happens. So you have the miracles of healing and, um, you know, the miracles of breaking down walls and barriers like John 4, where Jesus talked to the woman at the well, um, or the healings and the restoring of the withered hand and the list goes on, the feeding of the 5,000 and all these amazing things that happened. But what's the backdrop? What's the context in which those things were happening? Well, if you read the earlier chapters, you see that Jesus called some people, called them to follow him as his disciples. And that continues through the earlier chapters of the gospel. And all of a sudden, you've got this crew that's traveling around with Jesus. And it's against the backdrop of their relationships. It's in that context that Jesus does all of these things. And sometimes we can get distracted in the body of Christ, or even us as preachers and teachers, we, we can get distracted by the things that Jesus did. And they're important, they're critically important. But they're the trees. And sometimes we miss the forest, if you will, of discipleship, of who Jesus was and how he engaged in that, because we're focused on the trees of the miracles and the trees of the teachings, and they're all important. And if you know me at all, some of you do, you know that I'm a balanced kind of guy. Like, there, we need to look at this, but we also need to look at that. So it's not today we're saying we need to let go of all those things. We're just saying discipleship is an enormous part of who Jesus Christ is. And in turn, because we are followers of Christ and we want to be Christ-like, then discipleship has got to be a big part of who we are, particularly as a church. And so the value today that we're unpacking, you'll see it up there behind me on the screen, it simply says this, that discipleship is not optional. It's based on Matthew 28, the scripture that we read. Discipleship is not a class. It's not a program. It is not only for new believers. Discipleship is the strategy for growing in God modeled by Jesus. It's lifelong, and it's the responsibility of all followers of Christ to be discipled and to disciple others. So who are you discipling, and who is discipling you? We're really intentional with the language that we chose there to challenge us all that this is a lifelong process. It's not something that we do early on and then we get rid of, and it's for everyone. And it's also the model of growth that Jesus demonstrated. You know, we've been talking a lot about our purposes, you know, as a church, and we want to be outwardly focused, right? We want to love our community. We want to empower all of you to share God's love and Christ's love with those that you work with and with your families. All of that boils down to this principle of discipleship. And Jesus was intentional in Matthew 28 when he said, go into all the world, right? And make disciples of all nations, he didn't just say go and preach. We know the other language around the Great Commission is that, to go and to preach. And you have this idea of preaching, and you have this idea of discipleship. So let people know the message. And if they choose to follow Jesus, then disciple them. And it doesn't end. And we see that in the life of Jesus and the life of the disciples. So against that backdrop, all the miracles take place. All the amazing wonders that God did take place. It's in the relational context. And you see that as you read through the Gospel of John or any of the other ones. You'll see that Jesus was talking with his disciples they were traveling, and then this happened, and then that happened, and he was teaching them along the way. It's within the context of relationship that discipleship takes place. It is the model of growth. Discipleship is not a program. It's not a class. They may be tools in the kit. We might have a discipleship class, but when those few weeks are over, discipleship is not done. And right here, I'll put in a PSA for Pastor Glenn's class, Faith Next Steps. It's already begun, but you can register. 
and still join that class. It's happening in the next few weeks. And it's a good example because that's part of discipleship, learning and growing in God. Some of you have attended Alpha, and that's a great way to come to understand who Jesus is and to be discipled into uh, some of the basics of our faith. But it doesn't end there. And we work against ourselves when we approach things that way. You see, for a long time in the body of Christ, and perhaps even including here in our local church, discipleship can become a little bit professionalized. And we can, as Christians, sort of step away from it. Like, that's the job of the church. Well, who is the church? The church is you and I, right? We've talked about that. We can kind of think it's, well, it's the the pastor's job to disciple people. And because we have had that mentality about things, I believe that we have then uh, put a bottleneck on our ability to grow. Because if it's only the job of a few people, and we see Jesus in all of his glory and might discipled how many? Come on now, guys, you know, like, wait, how many did he disciple? Oh, man, now there's a few people awake. Um, Twelve. It's an interesting ratio, you know, and I think that there's not something, you know, legalistic and prescriptive about you can only talk to 12 and you can only deal with 12, but it is a little bit of an indicator that Jesus in all of his amazingness, he, he hung out with 12 and impacted, you know, many, many, many people, but in a day-to-day impacted 12. And yet within our, our local churches, we can kind of have this idea that, well, it's someone else's job and they'll look after this bustling and growing congregation and it's just not realistic. The call is to all of us, and it's lifelong. It's Christ's strategy for growth. It's not a program. It's not a class. They may be a part of the strategy. Mark chapter 6 points to the idea that discipleship is about growth. It's when Jesus sends out the 12, and it says this, Mark 6, verse 7, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits, and he charged them to take Nothing, of their, uh, nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, not put on two tunics. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. It's really fascinating to me because this is Mark 6, kind of like right in the middle or almost more towards the beginning of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And then you have in Matthew, similar language when Jesus says, now go out into all the world and, and teach what I have taught you and preach the gospel. All authority is mine and therefore go. And that's at the end of the story. And this is kind of right in the middle of the story. What this points out to us is that Jesus wasn't about, okay, learn, 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 hear what I'm saying, hear what I'm saying, and then he dies, raises from the dead, and then tells them to go and do something. Jesus was about hands-on learning, about learning as you go, and a part of the learning of the disciples was to go out and to do what Christ was doing, and to do it just like Jesus. There's that, that, uh, that uh, passage of scripture where Christ is, you know, someone is saying, hey, I want to follow you. And he says, well, listen, foxes have holes and something has a den and I don't have a place to lay my head. I'm not quoting that exactly right, but I don't, have a, I don't have much was the point that Jesus was making. I don't have a home right now. I'm in ministry. So if you want to be in ministry, then this is what you got to do. And that's what he said to the guys here. Don't take anything. You can take a staff. You can't take food. Don't take a bag. Don't take money. You take some sandals. You go two by two. What this was about was learning to depend on God. Heading out into the world with your purpose and calling 
and not taking a whole bunch of stuff with you to make it happen. You see, our challenge is that we actually want to take all kinds of things with us when we go. We want to have everything that we think we need to be prepared. And God is actually challenging you and I today. No, 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 no. Just go out there. Just go out there and do what I called you to do. Go out there and disciple people. And you don't need to take anything with you but, but me. It's a difficult place for us to be, but if we can get into that place then we can learn dependence upon God. It also speaks to us of vulnerability. Being out there all on our own, just God and me answering the call of my life. And what does that look like for you and me? I don't know. I don't know what purposes God has given you specifically. What are the things that he's calling you to? Or the, the condition of relationships in your life where you might be trying to share his love with somebody and how the Lord is leading and guiding you. I don't know the specifics, but I do know that he will prove himself to be faithful, if you will, Depend on him and not try to take all the stuff that you think that you need in order to do what he's calling you to do, but just to take what he's asking you to take and work with. You can't talk about discipleship without talking about vulnerability. We said we can't talk about Jesus without talking about discipleship. We can't talk about discipleship without talking about vulnerability and relationships. Discipleship is a costly thing. Matthew 16 says this, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a person if he gains the whole world and forfeits his or her own soul? It's so fascinating. Um, sometimes we want to incentivize people in order to get people together to do something, right? And that's totally cool. It's totally fine. You know, we do that in different ways in our, in our work. We want people to engage. And so, you know, we, we need to show them something, get them excited about something, offer something. Nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to us in the, in the church, I kind of think there is something wrong with that. Jesus is Jesus. He's the Savior of the world, and I believe we would do ourselves well to, to help people see and sense and know their need for a Savior and then to follow him. But sometimes we fall into the trap of, you know, this advertising thing of, you know, life will be good. Just follow Jesus and you'll be prosperous if you follow Jesus and just follow Jesus and things are going to be okay. And then when challenges come, like we were singing about this morning, when storms come and there's a need for us to be carried, we don't know what to do, right? We, we get challenged in our faith. And really, Jesus right here, it's interesting because in Matthew 16, just a few verses before what I read to you is when Peter gets the revelation that this is Jesus. Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Da, 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 da. And then Peter says, well, you are the Christ. And Jesus affirms him for that. That's great. That's awesome. And yet, as soon as they get the lesson then he's right there again with another one, but it's going to cost you a lot to follow me. How many times, you know, parents and your kids, or if you're a teacher or you've ever taught anybody anything, once they learn it, you're just like, yes, that's amazing. That's exciting. That's so great. Here the disciples get the revelation that Jesus is Jesus. And rather than all of a sudden a whole bunch of affirmation, they get, okay, but the cost to follow me is to deny yourself. And yet for us in the church, we want to get people together and there's a good motivation there, but we want to make it easy. And don't get me wrong, we want to be accessible. We want the message to be engaging. We want all of those things, but we can't water down what it is that we're called to. We are called to a life of discipleship, to give our lives away, to deny ourselves 
and to reach the lost. So we have these two aspects of characteristics of discipleship. It's costly, and it's God's strategy for growth. So then what does that mean for us as believers here at Faith City Church? What does discipleship really look like? Well, in part, it looks like you just living your life for Jesus, doing the things that you enjoy doing, sharing the love of Christ with others, and as they respond to him, helping them to grow in that relationship, getting yourself plugged in and helping to minister and using your gifts and talents for the kingdom. That's all a part of discipleship. It's not a prescription of to-dos. It's living a life of faith in Jesus, being led of the Spirit. But as I said, we can't get there without vulnerability. And we see that right here in the Gospels, Matthew 26. You can't have discipleship without vulnerability. Matthew 26, verse 20 says this. So this is, this is getting into sort of the Jesus' final moments um, with his disciples. It says this, Matthew 26, 20. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, all twelve disciples, And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, uh, began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who dips his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man of whom the son of man is betrayed. It would be, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Then he goes on to foretell Peter's denial it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. It's an interesting passage of scripture sort of Christ last night with his disciples at the Last Supper. Judas is his betrayer. If you read earlier on in the chapter, you'll, you'll, you'll read about how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. What's so fascinating is when he washed their feet and when he broke bread with them, he knew his betrayer was there. He knew who his betrayer was. And yet he still left his life open to him. And if we think about the the impact of even just sharing that meal together, that very important Passover meal, and having your enemy, your betrayer there with you, if you think about the sort of in that time frame specifically, well, I guess even now, I don't want to wash Glenn's stinky feet. It's a pretty intimate thing to do, scrubbing someone's feet, let alone your enemy, the person who's going to betray your life, betray you, betray those that you love, and you've done life with this person over the previous three years and made such an investment in them. And yet, they're going to betray you, and Jesus just shows love. Peter's denial, right? We just read in Matthew 16, you're Jesus the Christ. And then Jesus is telling me, listen, man, you're going you're to deny me. 
See, Jesus demonstrates in that chapter, I believe, the ultimate invulnerability. Doesn't isolate himself, doesn't remove himself, doesn't cast Judas out. In fact, it's Judas's choice to even leave later on. It's a fascinating thing, and it speaks to us of the cost of discipleship. We were asked to place ourselves in the position of denying ourselves for the betterment of others. And you will be disappointed if you engage in this thing called discipleship. If you try to win people to the Lord and try to journey with them over time, you will be disappointed. I will disappoint you and you'll disappoint me because we're people. But we can't let that be the reason for us to not engage in discipleship because discipleship is the game changer. It is what grows the church. It is what grows the church. You can't have discipleship without vulnerability, and you cannot have discipleship without disappointment. And just as the band begins to prepare to come back and we get ready to worship, I just want to talk a little bit about disappointment. And Peter says there that Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. Can you imagine uh, later on the disappointment that Jesus must have felt and the difficulty Peter must have felt himself in letting down Jesus. You know, the, the Bible records that Peter uh, was sorrowful, that he wept. Sometimes we come in with, with doubts. And sometimes we think those, thing count us out, those things count us out from fulfilling the purposes that God has given to us. But the Bible is clear that they don't. Jesus can carry us through our doubts. He can carry us through all those storms, through all the difficult times to ultimately realizing our full potential in him, just like he did for Peter. It says this in Matthew 14, 31. This is when Jesus walked on the water. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And so Peter says, classic, I love this. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Peter had some doubts. We see that here. He, he doubted at times in his relationship with the Lord. And then he denied. He doubted and he denied. And yet Peter was the one in Acts 2 when the power of the Holy Spirit had come upon him. He's the one that preached the inaugural message of the church where 3,000 were added to the kingdom and the church was born in Acts chapter 2. Peter engaged in this thing called discipleship and won many to the kingdom of God. And he got beyond his doubts. He pushed past them in order to see people one to Jesus. I don't know about you today. The question becomes, who are you discipling and who is discipling you?
who are you discipling and who is discipling you? Vulnerability can look like many things in life. Looks like giving up of our time, opening up our lives to others, but we will be disappointed. It will be challenging, but the promise is that Jesus is with us to carry us through those situations. Just as we begin to close today, would you just stand with me? We're going to prepare our hearts to worship and just have a couple of moments of contemplation here. Matthew 28 again says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. There's no longer 12, there's 11, because one betrayed him. And it says that they saw him and worshiped him, but some doubted doubted. Maybe today you've come in with some doubts. And you know, in the kingdom of God, God is bigger than the doubts that you and I have. And in fact, if we will just uh, worship him, if we will just get our eyes upon him, he'll help to resolve those doubts. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end. To the end. It says to the end of the age, but to the end. Jesus is with us. He's with you today. He's with me. If you feel like you've given all that you can give and you don't have more to give, well, you know what? Jesus is with you to help extend your abilities, to strengthen you so that you can give all that you have to fulfill his purposes and callings. Maybe you have been disappointed uh, in this walk of faith by those who you've tried to love into the kingdom and, and tried to bless, and somehow those relationships became broken. Jesus is with you to the end. Maybe today you're just simply struggling in your faith. Jesus is with you to the end. Jesus was with Peter all the way to the end. He was with him when he doubted. He was with him when he denied. He was with him when he discipled others and saw the church born. And he was with him to the end when he died. An early, early, early theologian, Origen, in the first century was writing about Peter. It's not a book that is a part of scripture, but it's a historical book. And he talks about the things that Peter did and at the end of Peter's life, Jesus was with Peter to the end. And it's written that when Peter was to die, he was persecuted for his faith and he was to die. He was going to be crucified in Rome. And it's recorded in the books. We don't have a lot of historical evidence other than what was written in, in some books of the time, but it's evidence in and of itself. But it said that Peter did something amazing. That when they were about to nail him to the cross, he asked that he would be crucified upside down. Upside down. Instead of the same way that his master and Lord was crucified. Jesus was with Peter to the end, right through the end. And so doing, Peter said, I'm not worthy to in death be killed the way my savior was. 
So turn me upside down. Through the life of Jesus Christ, our world has been set right side up. And if we will engage in this thing called discipleship, we'll be a part of that. Just as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed today, just wanna invite you to take a moment just of contemplation of quietness here in the Lord's presence. Let him speak to you. We've talked a lot about a lot of things. We've talked about discipleship. We've talked about the cost of that. We've talked about vulnerability. We've talked about doubts today, denying. What is he speaking to you about this morning? Just for a moment, hear him. Holy Spirit, speak to us. What is it that God is asking of you this morning? What part of your life does he want to change? Maybe he's giving you the image in your mind's eye of a person that you're to be discipling and leaning into. Maybe today you're just so wrapped up with disappointment and challenge, God is just pouring out his love on you in affirmation. Just hear him. invite you today here in this room and those of you that are watching at home, if you're comfortable to do this, just to lift your hands before God, just as a sign of openness to him. I just want to pray for you today. God, you see us right where we are this morning here in this church and wherever we're watching this message from. Lord, you know and see our hearts today. We outstretch our hands to you just as a sign of openness to your spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that the, the seeds of this word that have been spoken today would find good ground in our hearts. All that means, God, is that you just find a good, place, a good space to grow the things that we've talked about today in our hearts. Lord, we want to be disciples of yours. We want to disciple others. We want to follow Christ's example and then the example of the apostles thereafter and Peter and Paul and others, Lord. But God, it costs so much. It's difficult. It can be painful. And so this morning, Lord, I'm praying for our church. I'm praying you just pour out your spirit. Lord, that refreshing that comes, that empowering. You promised us in Acts 1 that you would empower us. We'd be clothed with power from on high to be your witnesses, God. Would you come by your spirit the way only you can and pour yourself out? Strengthen each one, I pray today. Lord, I pray that you would settle doubts. Lord, I pray we wouldn't hide from you when we have doubts, but Lord, we would come right into your presence. And as we worship you, we would let you resolve those doubts, God. And if we come back next week with more, it's okay because you can resolve them again, Lord. You can carry us. You promised that you would be with us to the end. To the end. You're always with us, God. Always. And so, Lord, we worship you this morning. Lord, those that need to be carried today, God, I pray you'd lift them up and carry them on your wings. Help us all to be better disciples of yours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.